morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters here on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, July 4th, we're studying Acts chapter 27, verses 21 to 44. Even through tempest and a shipwreck, the Lord keeps his promise to Paul to bring him and his companions safely to land. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Kilgo. Pastor Kilgo serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Hey, it's good to be back. So, Pastor Kilgo, we are right in the middle of quite the event in Paul's life. We left with quite a, a cliffhanger on Friday. The last verse we read was that neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. It was no small tempest. All hope of being saved was abandoned. That's where we last met our heroes. Give us context. What should we know as we prepare to look at the rest of Acts chapter 27? Well, the, the main thing is that they're you know in this m- middle of the storm and you know they think they're all going to die. Uh, that that's the main context. They're they're about to be shipwrecked, Paul, for the fourth time. Um, that this is why Paul just needs to not be on ships anymore. He is apparently bad luck. So, w- what's kind of interesting is like how this is going to lead in, right? Because as as we're going to hear, Paul's going to uh, relay this message that he gets from one of the Lord's angels, um, and this. All our hope of being saved was at last abandoned. That that is a a, a really kind of profound statement when you when you think about it. And I don't know how much the the last guest made of this, but uh, that leading into the the statement of the angel and the the preservation that's going to occur is is fairly interesting, I think, uh, to consider because this is at the end of the day that is all of us, right? We we ought to when we understand our own sin, all the hope of being saved should be abandoned at that moment when we realize our depravity. And then the Lord directs us to look at Jesus and we're like, oh, we are saved, right? Mm. Yeah, well, and I think we we did touch briefly on, not particularly that phrase, but the whole context that leading up to that, you see the sailors doing everything that they know how to do. What what can we do to save ourselves? You know, they begin to jettison the cargo. They throw over the overboard the ship's tackle with their own hands. And so all human effort to this point has failed. And so I, I do think, you know, theologically we should see that that where human hope it completely fails us, in steps the Lord with the hope that only he can bring. Yeah, and I mean this this is the 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 theme that undergirds the entirety of the scriptures, right? It is just always sitting there that, that we are saved, not by our own works, but by the Lord and particularly by the Lord sending his son to die and be raised and bring us with him into eternity. I mean, that that's, that's the hope. And, and, and that under 
underlays everything then when we're looking at the scriptures, e- even when that's not the, maybe the chief thing that's being told. Um, we remember like there's a, a number of things like this in the scriptures that point us to the purpose for the writing and we should keep these in mind. So like the end of John's gospel, this, you know, wonderfully makes this into the liturgy and divine service setting for that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God and believing have life in his name. Right. Well, that, that applies to this too. Like that's not just that little section in John. So he even, even here in acts, this is written for our faith. Right. Mm, that's right. That's right. We, we talked a little bit last time as well about all the nautical details that St. Luke gives in this chapter, that, that this is actually the best example of what shipping and seafaring was like at this time in all of, in all of antiquity. It's recorded for us in sacred scripture. This is the go-to book when it comes to what was it like to sail across the Mediterranean Sea at the time. St. Luke records it for us. Are you a, are you a seafaring man, Pastor Kilgo? Um, I like to pretend that I'm a seafaring man. <laughs> I, uh, I, I've, I've done some. I, you know, I've, I've been on lakes and, and this sort of stuff. Um, I've been to the, uh, to the coast, to the ocean a uh, couple times. But you know, not in the sense that these guys are. Right. But, All right. But it is okay. pretty wonderful how you how you get these particular details. Um, it's almost yeah. as though it's being written as a firsthand account of what's going on yes, it and is. that it's well researched, as Luke states at the beginning of the gospel. Right, right. And so I, I appreciate, again, the way that you bring out the purpose of the scriptures that Luke through the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, is accomplishing that purpose all the while narrating true events that he was there to witness himself, to experience himself, and doing so in a, a very detailed and accurate way. All these things come together for us in the pages of sacred scripture, particularly here in Acts chapter 27. It's it's quite marvelous. I, I was hoping that you were going to tell me, yeah, I know all these nautical terms that St. Luke is using, <laughs> and you could explain them to me, but I, I, I need to find that pastor still for this show. Yeah, unfortunately not. I, I was struggling a bit with that in, in looking at these things that, you know, I'm, I'm going to just trust Luke knows what he's talking about here. Certainly, but I, certainly. Yeah. But with the, the details, this is, uh, in, in the historicity of this, this is kind of one of these wonderful things about the Christian faith is that the Christian faith is always grounded in reality and history. Uh, the, the, the chief example is the resurrection, right? So St. Paul says at the end of Corinthians that if Christ is not raised from the dead, then we are of all people most to be pitied. So like if you can actually disprove Christianity by disproving the, the resurrection, but the, the, all of the scriptures are written like this. They're, they're all written as uh, history uh, to us. The, these things actually happen. Right, you go, you go all the way back to creation, um, and all the way forward through the epistles and whatnot. All these things are actual events, and they are the accounts of God interacting with His creation um, through His Word, through His mercy and kindness, and ultimately bringing about the salvation of humanity. and And, and it's grounded in reality instead of mm-hmm. that's why Christianity is not a mystical religion, and and that's what makes it really quite wonderful because it's not something that just exists in our minds. It exists in, in the real world. That's right. That's right. So let's read what happens in the real world as St. Luke records it. Again, we're picking up in Acts 27 verse 21 this morning. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. 
Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the when the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship, and when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. I'll pause there. That takes us through verse 38 of the text. So it's, it's been a while, Pastor Kilgo, the text we let we left off with at the end of last week. We, there was not a lot of dialogue, but here we get to hear Paul speaking several times, and he starts this text. Again, the last thing we heard previously, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Now they haven't eaten in a while, and Paul stands up and gives a speech. What does Paul have to say to these men who are without any hope? Yeah, so he says first, you know, you, you should have listened to me, and, and this is not like an I told you so sort of thing, but it's it's pointing out like, I'm not, I'm not lying to you when, when I speak. I'm, I'm speaking as one who is an oracle of God. I'm speaking as an apostle. This is always behind Paul's words. Uh, one, one who speaks um, uh, for God. And, and he's saying, you should have listened to me that when I told you we shouldn't set out uh, from Crete, uh, that this was not going to go well, that we were going to crash, right? Uh but now that's going to happen. Nonetheless, uh, don't don't worry. Take heart, right? Which is this um, the same sort of uh, phrase that, that Jesus will use, right? When he's uh, bringing about comfort. Uh, so there's like in uh, in in Luke, uh, Jesus tells this parable that they uh, ought always to pray and take heart, right? That they there's this comfort that you have that's kind of built into this phrase and the particular uh, comfort is you're not going to die in this shipwreck right the ship's going to crash but you're not going to die so that that's what he what he points out now now there's maybe a little little note uh here on they'd been without food for a long time this is not because they don't have food it it can kind of sound that way in in english and we see a little bit later on it's not the case because they're about to eat. It's that they haven't eaten anything. Um, in in this case, it it seems like 
it's a reference to the 14 days that they're out there. So for 14 days, these guys aren't eating. Um, that that's also going to be part of the consolation that Paul's going to give is a little bit later. It's like here, eat, eat this. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably not eating because they're busy trying to save the ship and, and just, you know, not knowing how long it's going to be. There's a lot of reasons they might not have eaten, but it is not because they are without food. They do have the food. They just haven't been eating it yet. And so it's time to strengthen them. Uh, The way that Paul has this confidence is he does have the Lord's promise. Back in Acts chapter 23, the Lord came and stood by Paul and told him, you are going to testify to me in Rome. It's necessary for that to happen. In fact, here, Paul continues to have that confidence because an angel of the Lord came and told Paul yet again, you are going to go and testify before Caesar. One of the things that I love about this is the way, what the angel says, that God has granted you all those who sail with you, that, that these men, all 276 of, of them, benefit from having Paul on the boat with them, that, that for the sake of Paul, God is going to save everybody on this boat. It's a, it's a marvelous thing to, to see how the Lord ends up blessing even pagans for the sake of his people. Right. And, and I mean, even just in general, right, the Lord is, is doing this. Jesus reminds us that, that God causes it to reign on both the just and the unjust alike. Right. Um, we were reminded of this in the in the small catechism that God gives daily bread to everyone, even to evil people. Right. Which and that, that always rubs us kind of the wrong way, I think. And we need to recognize the reason why that rubs us the wrong way is because we're sinful. And that that brings about a sort of selfishness that we don't want. Uh, we don't want other people to have God's good gifts. We're uh, we're rather inclined to be kind of like Jonah right? Those Ninevites out there, they, they don't deserve this, right? And, and part of that is this, this assumption that we do. Um, so it, it's right. good to be reminded that none of us do. But, but here, yeah, uh, that, that the Lord is preserving uh, the sailors and the prisoners and, and everybody there uh, for, the, for the sake of Paul, uh, which, which is quite interesting. And, and the confession that he gives here is really quite wonderful. Uh, he says, uh, there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship, right? Name, worshiping God, not the angel. We want to right. make that very clear. Um, but the, the, the statement is like, I belong to God and that's who I worship. And nothing is going to befall me that is outside of his hands. And he's told me, I'm not going to die in this shipwreck. I'm not going to die on this island. In fact, it, like you said, it's necessary that I go and I stand before Caesar. So, you know, I might die there, but I'm not going to die here. Right. And God's not going to let you die either, especially not in the, in the shipwreck, right. He's going to preserve me. He's going to preserve you. Um, and so you get this, this phrase that seems to always come out of the angel's mouths as, as soon as they open their mouths, uh, stop being afraid. Yeah. Right. Which, which is, which is interesting because it, it seems to indicate that maybe Paul has a bit of this trepidation as well. If that's the, the statement that uh, the angel says to Paul that he's relaying, that statement is first to Paul and, and then to the, the sailors and, and to us, but it's, but it's first there. So, um, you know, we sometimes get this in our minds that the apostles 
uh, are, you know, above feeling these, these worldly things. Like they're, they're not going to be afraid of, of death or, or whatever. And we, we certainly get that in some of the things that they write, like Paul will say to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, you know, we want to have that upon our hearts and lips as well. But that doesn't mean that Paul never experiences fear over death. I, I think that this is actually a good indication that he does. Uh, rather that the Lord comes to encourage Paul in the same way that he comes to encourage us, and that's through his word. And he says, mm. don't be afraid of death. It's conquered. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's a, I think that's an excellent point, that this message from the angel is for Paul and for everyone on the ship, don't be afraid. And and what a what a glorious promise that the Lord does give to Paul there on the ship. It's it's interesting that you bring up up Jonah, because you know Jonah was on a boat too. There was a bit of a storm that came up on on the sea on the Mediterranean Sea when he was on a boat too. It's it's striking. And I don't know. We don't have to go too far into this, but you know, in the case of Jonah, the storm arises because of Jonah's disobedience. Here, the storm arises, and it it's. Just because there's a storm, it doesn't, and Paul's being quite faithful at the moment, and, and yet the storm comes. The Lord preserves both men. The, the hope of the resurrection certainly pervades Jonah. Paul's been preaching the, the resurrection as well, and I think that that hope continues to pervade what's going on here in as he you know goes toward the shipwreck here. I don't know. I, I didn't do enough close look at that to see how much comparison and contrast we could make between this journey across the sea and, and Jonah's, but I, I'm sure there's, there's some things there. It is, it is striking to, to think about it just a little bit. Yeah. I, I had thought about this too, and, and I'm not sure how much of a connection we want to make apart from, you know, they're, they're on ships. There is a preservation of God. There's a word of God that's sitting behind all of this. Um, with, with Jonah, it's, it's very clearly that the Lord is coming after Jonah in order to bring about his own repentance so that ironically he would go and preach repentance to Nineveh. Um, here, I mean, maybe the, the, the parallel is that there's, um, you have a faithfulness of, of St. Paul and, and the storm serves as a, uh, a thing that the Lord uses to kind of showcase the faithfulness of Paul. So, so it's almost like that the Lord is using the, the, the storm to, uh, to kind of highlight what, what's already there. What it does make me kind of think about is in second, like why the storm, like why is the Lord sending this? And, and we don't get the, the direct answer, uh, here in this case, we know in Jonah's case, why the storm is sent because the Lord tells us, we don't know why, uh, specifically the storm is sent, but I think we can give a general reason why the Lord sends this storm and why he sends other uh, hardship and calamity as well. And this comes out of Second Corinthians um, that uh, St. Paul says after this wonderful section where he's like, blessed be the God of all comfort, 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 comfort. And then he says this, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So there's this this very clear confession by St. Paul that we do well to confess also, and I think that you can apply this generally into this text in Acts, that 
the Lord uses this storm in order to make Paul and the sailors rely on God who raises the dead. And that's exactly what happens in, in, in the text. They, like we talked about, and you brought this up at the beginning, they're trying to work this out themselves. Ultimately, at the end, they, they can't, and they have to rely on God, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and once that happens, um, everything kind of works out. I mean, the, the ship crashes, but they already knew this was going to happen. Their lives are preserved. And, and things go on from there. Yeah, no, and, and I, th- I appreciate you bringing up that passage from Second Corinthians, because I, I think it, it ties into what you were saying about the confession that Paul makes, and it's easy to, to skip over that. But when he says, you know, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, even as, as you know, this, this message of take heart is more than, or it, it's so much more than don't worry, it's going to be okay, Rather, it is, no, the Lord himself, the God of all creation, who, who to whom I belong, he's on our side, and he has given us his promise. And so we will be okay because of him. It's it's very much a, a hope that is grounded, as you said, in the God who raises the dead. And, and just to see how Paul is constantly looking for that opportunity to give witness to the God who raises from the dead. I mean, you see it even in just this very short address that he gives here in these few verses. Yeah, that's right. Uh, th- there's this wonderful reality in in this little statement, uh, the God to whom I belong. Mm-hmm. And I think there's two nice parallels to this that, that we can we can see what this kind of means for us then. And there's certainly more than this, but the ones that immediately come to my mind uh, is out of Colossians where it says, uh, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Right? There's this sort of possession language there. And then in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, where uh, St. Paul says that, um, uh, do you not know that your bodies are a uh, temple of the Holy Spirit? Uh, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And, and so there's this reality that, that we actually in this wonderful way we belong to God. And that's in fact what it means to be redeemed, right? To be redeemed. We, it's one of these very important words that we use all the time and we never define. Uh, and, and so we can forget or just never know what it, what it really means, but to redeem is to buy back, which means that the Lord has purchased us. And, it, and this is the language we use in the small catechism. Luther's just basically quoting directly out of uh, uh, first Peter and saying uh, that that the Lord Jesus has purchased us with his holy and precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. That, 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 and to just pause and think about what that means then, that we do belong to him. He's bought us. Uh, uh, and he's bought us out of slavery to sin and death and the devil and made us uh, slaves to him. I mean, that's the language that, that the apostles use. You know, Paul, a a slave of Christ Jesus. That, that word servant is is the same word, but not 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 being a slave in some sort of indentured servitude sort of thing, but uh, in, in the sense of being a, a son, right? Belonging to, so in the same way that, that sons belong to their father, right? So also we belong to the Lord because of Christ's death. And it, it is in this hope that Paul has received the news from the Lord through the angel. Paul relays it to his shipmates, and he says, Take heart, do not be afraid. 
But then as a matter of practicality, verse 26, we need to run aground somewhere, right? We got to got to get back on land. So that's where, where the, the text picks up with more nautical details. So in verse 27, we find out it's been two weeks now. It's the 14th night. And, and Luke gives us, again, an idea of where they are. They're being driven across the Adriatic Sea with the loss of a visual of sun and stars. They really are kind of at a loss as to precisely where they are until those things show up again. But they know they're going across the Adriatic Sea. They start to take soundings, uh, take us into, again, some of these nautical details that Luke is giving us in verses 27 and following. Yeah, so so one of the, they they when it says they suspect that they're nearing land, what, what this is, is it's referring to the, the sailors, I mean, one, when you're out on the sea, it smells like the sea. And when you start getting closer to land, you can actually smell the land. It's kind of an interesting sort of thing. Uh, but uh, you can also hear the breakers, which is the waves as they're crashing up against the, the shore. And if there's any sort of cliffs and whatnot. And and these guys who are just always out on the sea, you, you begin to learn when it sounds like this, you're about this far away. Right. And so even though it's at night, um, and I mean, obviously there, there's not lighthouses and all this sort of stuff you can't see and you're in the middle of a storm, right? So, so you don't, you don't have any visual of where you're at. It's all by, by sound. And so they're, they're listening and they're hearing, oh, we're, we're near land. So they take a, a sounding, which, which is exactly what it sounds like. They're, they're, they're listening for how close, for how close they are. And then there's also uh, a reference here to to dr- like dropping a line down and, and seeing uh, how deep the water is because so what, what you do is you check how deep the water is and you wait a minute and then you check how deep the water is and obviously as you're nearing shore uh, that that depth is going to get more shallow so you can do a rough approximation of how quickly you're moving uh, thinking like generally the slope is going to be about this and that's obviously a very rough estimate but they, uh, the first one is that you've got 20 fathoms. And then the next one, a little further on, uh, is uh, 15 fathoms. So you go from uh, about 120 feet to about 90 feet. Uh, so you've, you've lost um, 30 feet of water below you in a rather short time, which means you're moving really quick towards land, which is mm-hmm. why... Um, they, they drop anchors there. That's part of the reason why they drop anchors. There, there's actually another reason, but um, they, they drop the anchors uh, so that they, they stop, right? This, this is kind of right. thrown on the e-brake, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. They don't want to run into the rocks, they say. And, and there is a little bit more going on to this dropping anchor and something else that's happening, but we're going to pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. Looking at Acts chapter 27 with Pastor Sean Kilgo. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did 
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, July 4th. We're studying Acts chapter 27, verses 21 to 44 with Pastor Sean Kilgo. He serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, prior to the break, we were paying attention as Paul and the ship that he's on are getting closer to land. The sailors have taken soundings. They can see that they're running out of water. They're afraid they're going to run out on, onto the rocks. So they drop anchor. Uh, but then we find out about a plot of sorts, a, a scheme that's going on. There are some s- sailors who are trying to escape from the ship in the ship's boat, and Paul responds to them. Take us into that scene. Yeah, so um, he's saying, you know, b- basically what happens is is they're trying to, you know, run away in, in the midst of all of this. And Paul tells the centurion that's there that, that he's got some favor with and kind of keeping an eye out on him. And he's the guy in charge anyway. Right. Um, and he, he says, you know, un- unless you guys stay in the boat, uh, we're all going to die. Right. Um, and particularly you guys, and, and it's kind of a, this is definitely an, an act of desperation, right? Because you, you're going to drop down into these little boats, which are significantly less, uh, secure and less able to deal with storms than the, the actual vessel itself. And I mean, this is, this is a, good size vessel, right? I mean, it's got almost 300 people on it. So plus all the supplies. Um, and, and they, they, they have this idea that they're going to be able to, you know, traverse the, the, the storm and the waves and, you know, maybe ride up over any sort of rocks that are there, any sort of sandbars or whatever, and, uh, get, get to, to shore. Um, but, that's not going to happen. And part of the reason why that's not going to happen is to go back to what was said previously is that the, the safety that they have is actually being around Paul, right? Paul, Paul's the one who's being preserved and the Lord is preserving those around him through him. He's also the one giving all the good advice, right? So, so maybe, and and it's interesting because um, he he says, you know, that the ship's going to be, uh, destroyed. It's going to run aground. All this sort of stuff. And before all of that, he says, "You should have listened to me." And here they are, like, still not listening, right? So, uh, it, you know, we we want to maybe poke at the the sailors a little bit, but we should remember uh, that this this does affect all of us. We are very hesitant to listen when somebody's telling us, you know, good advice. I I think of my my kids all the time. You know. We, we will tell them like, Hey, we're giving you good advice here on, on what to do. And they just don't want to listen to us. And so we find somebody else to tell them the same thing. It's like, see, we're not crazy. Right. 
Um, we're, we're not, we're not out to get you. And this, this is what's going on. Um, but one of, one of the other things going on, like in, in a nautical sense here, uh, besides the, um, uh, the dropping down of the, the little boats into, into the water and trying to escape, uh, is when, when you drop anchor, um, they drop the anchor particularly from the stern. And what this is going to do is it's actually going to kind of, uh, turn the boat in such a way that it's going to be turned with the, the storm. And what's going to happen then is they're going to be able to, to, to run with the storm directly into the shore. That's, that's what's about to happen. But the reason why you would actually drop the anchors the way they did is not only to throw the e-brake on, like we said, but also to swivel the boat around. Uh, it kind of gives you a pivot point. And then uh, once you um, once you cut the ropes or pull, I mean, they're going to cut the ropes, but if you pulled the anchors back up, um, you would just basically, uh, it, it's like cutting the tether on something that, that's got a, a tension on it. And you're just going to got to take off in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 attempt to escape in this boat it does strike me as one last ditch effort to try to fix this on our own apart from the word of God and I, you know I think Paul's Paul's words here go beyond his advice from previous you know I mean we we talked about when he told him maybe we should stay here in at the Fair Havens in Crete that was probably more on the level of advice but he's moved now to to divine revelation. And, and here, I, I think it carries the weight of, you know, the Lord has made his promise here. If you try to find salvation somewhere else, you're not going to find it here. So if, if you and, and everyone, if we want to be saved, we need to listen to the Lord's promise. I mean, it's just, it strikes me as one last effort to do this somehow by our own reason or strength instead of trusting in the Lord's promise. Yeah, that's right. And it, it is interesting, the, the, the language that's used, um, uh, it, it isn't. It is not, you, you are not able to be saved is um, uh, how, how it reads. And you, you, you can't help, as you're reading along in the scriptures, you see that phrase show up and you can't help but, but see um, the, the statement that there is salvation only in one location. There's salvation only through one thing and one person and it's not going to be jumping overboard into the little boats and trying to save yourself it's uh to have faith in christ and his promises that's right so as the text continues then it's about to be day but before day comes paul addresses everyone again and this is where they actually begin to eat paul talks to them again what what's what do we see in this scene where paul encourages them to eat and this is great because it's you know, I, my, my inclination is the reason why they haven't been eating is because they're, they're pretty sure that they're going to die in the storm. Like it, it just, the, the indication of the text is, it is just a really, really, really bad storm. Uh, from one of the things that I was reading, this would have been during a time period that normally they would not have been sailing. So, um, it, it's kind of already bad, uh, a bad idea to be out in the seas as Paul told them, but, uh, they're, they're, they're in just this nasty storm. You, you get some, some really bad stuff that, that kicks up in the Mediterranean sea. And, um, and even experienced sailors are just not going to be able to deal with it. And so they, they, 
you know, if you can imagine, if you think that you're, you're probably going to die, like what's the point in eating? Like, uh, so, so there's almost a confession in sitting down to eat that you're, you're going to be alive later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which, which is really nice. Uh, so, so Paul sits down and he does this. And I, I think there is a temptation to, to hear this and to think Lord's Supper. And I, and I, and I definitely want to push away from that because that's not what's going on here. Um, it, it's, it's not uh, particularly the same language. It's, I mean, it's certainly not the Lord's Supper. We definitely want to say that it has Lord's Supper ish sort of language, but even there, not, not completely. Uh, and, and one of the, the things there, uh, he takes bread uh, he, but it says he gives thanks to God in the presence of all, right? There, there is a confession that's going on in here. As Paul has been doing, he's confessing the God to whom he belongs and worships. And this is part of the, the worship and the whole deal of taking bread and breaking it. That's how you ate bread, right? So that's right. they didn't have sliced bread. You, you take bread and you break it. That, that is just the description of how you eat bread, Um. It, when it gets used in the context of like worship and whatnot, like in the temple, uh, then we probably want to see uh, at least an overtone of the Lord's Supper, if not the Lord's Supper itself. Like, for example, at the beginning of Acts, that they were they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. That that seems in Luke pretty clearly a reference to the Lord's Supper. Um, here he's eating, and he's making a confession of who he belongs to uh, in the presence of all these pagans. Right. And and what's the result of this then? They were all encouraged and they eat food themselves. They they hear and they 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 hear his confession, they see what he's doing, and they're like, Oh, okay, he like he's serious about this. And and they eat as well. And it is interesting that this is where you get the note on how many people are in the ship. And I think that it's uh to to note how much food is being eaten here, right? You imagine that everybody's taking some, some bread and eating it. Um, you got 267 or 276 persons worth of bread. That's, that's a lot of bread. Um, and even when it's all done, um, they start tossing it overboard in order to lighten the ship because of what they're about to do. And that's to run into the beach. Right. Yeah. I, the number 276 stands out to me as, as the number of persons in the ship. And this is one of those places where, you know, why 276? Well, that's because that's how many people were there. Right. And there's, there's nothing more to that. Right. It's, that's how many people were there, which does, as you mentioned previously, give us an indication of the size of this ship, that this is no small vessel that they're on. So they've eaten now, and I, I'm right there with you that when we hear that language of, excuse me, taking bread, giving thanks, this is what we, this is what you would do anytime you would eat. It does not have to be the Lord's Supper. And in this context is, is not the Lord's Supper. They are eating, and Paul is giving a confession here to the God to whom he belongs, the God whom he worships. In the presence of all these pagans, they see Paul giving thanks to the true God. Now they all eat. They're strengthened. They've lightened the ship. It's time for the wreck. It's time to run aground on some island, as Paul has said. So we pick up the text now in verse 39. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground, 
the bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. And that's the rest of our text for today. That takes us through the end of Acts chapter 27. So, Pastor Kilgo, it's day. They don't recognize the land where they are, which, again, having so much darkness that you wouldn't have known precisely where you were this whole time. And so you you finally get to see. And I'm not sure what that island is, but hey, it looks like a bay. Let's aim for it. We get more of these nautical details from St. Luke. What are we seeing in this text? Yeah, so the reason why they don't recognize it is because it's, it's this tiny little island that you would have never gone to anyway. Um, if, if, if you look at where this at, you know, normally they would have been angled if they had been able to see where they're going and you're not being thrown around by a storm. You're going to be angled a little bit n- more north and you're going to be going up like either to Syracuse or you're going to split through between this island um, and the little soccer ball that comes off the, the boot um, uh, going towards like Carthage or something like that. And, uh, and instead, you need a map. Yeah, you need, Pastor Kilgo. You need, you need Take a map. A, I, that's right. Well, I just, I, the last episode, we, we pointed this out. If you've got a Lutheran study Bible, page 1895 has a, a pretty good map that shows about where they would have gone. Right. There's a, there's a straight line that takes you from Crete to the island of Malta, which is where they're about to land. And, and that line probably wasn't quite as straight as the, the diagram suggests, but they're over there close to Malta, south of, I believe that's, that's Sicily, right? Off the coast yes. of, the, of the boot of Italy. Yes. So that's, that's about where they are. If you have a map, it's a good time to pull that out. Yeah, so that, that's not the, the, the point is that's not the normal route that you would have taken, right. right? So you wouldn't, even sailors would not be entirely familiar with this area. But they, you know, they're not really worried about that right now. They just need to get to land. And so they see a little bay that is a little area in which a ship could land and they could get off. And so they, um, they, they cast off the anchors. That is, they, they cut the lines. Um, they loosen the ropes that tie the rudder. So, so the rudders um, are just going to be like basically these straight boards that are going to drop down. That's what you're going to use to guide uh, the ship and keep it going straight. And then uh, um, they hoist the foresail, which is a, a sail that's going to be drawn up from the deck straight up and it's going to catch the wind. And when you've got the wind blowing and you've got the the rudders sitting there pointed in the direction you want to go, you cut the, uh, the ropes and you're just going to kind of take off in the direction you're going. They're close enough that they can see it. So you, you don't, you don't have to go straight for very long, just long enough to get to where you're going. And, um, and unfortunately they strike a reef, right? It's, it's kind of funny. They're, they're worried about striking rocks that they strike a reef instead and they're stuck and, um, uh, they have to, uh, abandon ship. And one of the things that they get worried about then is the prisoners escaping and, right. um, the kind of historical detail you have to know with this is that, uh, if, if you're on like a, a prisoner ship like this, the, the Roman soldiers were personally responsible for the prisoners. If any of them escaped, they themselves would be killed. And so that, that's why they, they are like, well, we just need to kill all the pr- prisoners so that they don't escape and we get killed instead. Um, 
what what's what's very odd is uh, it is the desire to save Paul that saves the the prisoners. Now this is definitely connected with the rest, but like historically, this is just a little bit odd because you could save Paul and kill all the other prisoners because all the other prisoners have been sentenced to death. Paul's not. Paul has been sentenced to stand before Caesar. So actually killing Paul would be a bad idea uh, because then, then Caesar's going to be a little bit miffed that Paul did not show up like he was supposed to. Um, and this would fall under the century and he's probably losing his life if that happens. So, but the fact that the centurion has this kind of mercy on the whole thing, I think goes to show that more and more Paul is almost rubbing off on him. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, through all of his confession and his, um, and his uh, statements of what, what God's promises have been. Right. Right. This matter of, of prisoners being responsible for the lives or excuse me, of soldiers being responsible for the lives of their prisoners and potentially having to pay with their own life. It takes us also back to Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas were in jail in Philippi and there's that earthquake and the jailer is afraid that the prisoners have escaped and he's ready to kill himself. And Paul and Silas stop him. It's that same principle that's at work here. The, the jailers, the soldiers are being proactive in this case. There's no way that the prisoners can escape if they're dead. But Paul, as you said, is a pretty important prisoner and, and likely, as you said, I, I think as well, is rubbing off on, on the centurion. His name is, is Julius. We learned that in the previous text. Right. And it's, it's striking that there are several centurions within both the Gospels and the Book of Acts that seem to be cast in a pretty positive light. You, you've mm-hmm. got the centurion that Jesus meets, I think it's in Luke Eight. It's in all the it's in all the synoptic gospels where where Jesus is amazed by his faith, and then you've got the centurion at, at the cross who confesses Jesus to be the Son of God. You've got Cornelius the centurion. Here you've got Julius the centurion, all of whom are, are cast in fairly favorable lights. I I wonder. I don't I don't know that the text gives us any way of saying in particular, but I I do wonder about Julius at this point if uh, if he's starting to believe the things that Paul is preaching I, that may be going a bit too far, but I, I do think you're right that he's, he's rubbed off. Paul's rubbed off on Julius. Yeah. I mean, there is this, this very interesting thing with the centurions and I have often wondered if it is part of their vocation that, that really kind of drives them at this, you know, being a centurion, you've got to pay pretty close attention to the things that are going on things that are being sad and all, all this sort of stuff. Um, but you, you you have to wonder if this is maybe one of the reasons why that it, over and over and over you get centurions who are either brought to faith or at least brought closer to the kingdom, um, either through the through the actions of Jesus or the apostles or whatever it might be. Yeah. So again, we have we have Julius here doing the right thing in in any case, and he prevents any of the prisoners from from escaping again. And part of the reason I wonder particularly with Julius here is, is this also in reaction to Paul has said, everyone is going to live. Julius makes sure that happens. You know, he believes that promise. And so he says, no, we can't kill these prisoners because Paul has said, again, I, I don't want to take it too far, but I, I wonder if perhaps that's going on in Julius's mind. Yeah. I think that's certainly fair to, to bring 
about in this text because that that is the the immediate context of it and the centurion seems to be listening to what paul's saying and paying attention to all the details and uh paul hasn't led them astray so far they've led themselves astray and so it's almost like well maybe we should listen to paul finally that's right right that's right that's right so they do and now the the centurion gives orders whoever can swim go ahead and jump overboard everybody else grab onto a, a piece of the ship as it as it breaks up breaks up i i wish luke would have told us if he was one of the swimmers or one of the the floaters i don't know and i don't know about paul either yeah it, do you think it'd be it'd be interesting I, I i think we know that like whatever's going on that that someone gets there before paul right because sure. that's what happens at the tomb too right so I, I just like to think Paul's always last getting there. Or sorry, that's Peter. Um, sorry, other Paul is one untimely born. He's, though, he's so untimely born, un- so he's he's last there too. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. I like to think that that Luke can swim. I don't know, just pious opinion, you know. Seem, seems he's like a man he, of many talents. Yeah, he's, it seems like he should be able to. Um, I mean, who knows with Paul? Um, most of the other apostles, you have to imagine, probably could, and maybe they taught Paul. Who knows? Sure. I mean, you've got several fishermen within the 12. Right. So it would, you would think that they would swim. Although, I mean, generally speaking, the the Jewish faith does not look kindly upon the ocean by any means. And so, I mean, the, the ocean particularly is a place of chaos. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. No. All this is pious speculation. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thought. Um, I, I, I actually kind of wish that Luke would tell us particularly how close they were because they, they had to have been pretty close at this point. I mean, reefs are usually not that far off the coast, but also if they're saying, Hey, you can swim to shore. Um, and it's still in the middle of a storm as it seems like there hasn't been any indication that the storm's over. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's why they raised the, the sail up because the wind's going to blow them into the, into the Island. And that's actually why you can grab a hold of the, the pieces of the ship because the, the, the waves are going to basically roll you up on the shore. Sure. Um, I mean, I guess you're close enough at this point that the tide's going to bring you in. Right. Right. So, but I think, I mean, uh, with all of that, some of that being pious speculation, again, the the key there is at the end of verse 44, as the ESV reads, and so it was that all were brought safely to land. And if, I, if I'm looking at the, the Greek correctly, we could translate this, and it came to pass. Mm-hmm. Which, which is, I think, a little more loaded and, and brings out some of the, the importance of this last statement from Luke in this, in this text. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not the, the kind of the normal again today, which is the, the normal construction that, uh, that, that Luke will use in like, like really highlighting something that that's usually will we'll translate as it came to pass, but it's pretty close. Um, uh, you you can say you know, and thus it was, right? I mean, it's it's, it's close, um, but it, one of the important words here um, is the uh, the uh, uh, pontos, the all, right? So so anytime you see this word showing up, you kind of want to pay attention to uh, what what's the all referring to. So you get, for example, you know, in Matthew twenty eight, you get the all nations and the all authority and. Um, all, all things I have uh, spoken to you um, for for all for all the ages. 
uh, here it's um, all the people, right? Um, and it's uh, they, they're 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 brought to safety, right? Which which is a little bit fascinating to me because you had previously the the language of salvation showing up, right? Um, that uh, that that Paul. Paul says that, you know, if, if they jump overboard and, and get in the boats, uh, that it is not going to be possible for them to be saved. Uh, but, but here you get this, this switch is, it's just a, a different word. Um, it's, it's connected, um, but it's, it's brought into safety, uh, here. And, that, and I think the, uh, the indication is what God spoke through his apostle came to pass. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, the Lord kept his promise. And and I mean it what what was quite the trip at the end what matters the Lord kept his promise. He did what he said he would do. He brought all these people safely to land. That's where the the text will pick up in the next text as Paul continues his journey to Rome. For right now he's on the island of Malta. The Lord has kept his promise to him and to his shipmates. Pastor Kilgo, we have about two minutes left on the morning. Help us to wrap this text up. What's the good news as we see Paul come safely through the shipwreck? Well, I think there's a, a couple of things for us to uh, keep in mind here. One is uh, not to go on a uh, boating trip with St. Paul. That's probably the first thing. <laughs> the second one is that regardless of what is going on uh, in our lives, that the Lord has never abandoned us to those things. It, it doesn't matter what it looks like externally, that the Lord has promised to be with us through all things. And he's with us particularly in his promise of the forgiveness of our sins and the promise that he himself has suffered in all the ways that, that we have. Right. So he, he knows what it, what it means to go through these things. Um, even if he wasn't particularly on a, in, in a shipwreck. I mean, we don't have all the details of Jesus' life, so who knows? I mean, maybe he was, but um, that again would be a pious opinion. But he knows what it what it means to go through these things. He knows what it means to to experience all of this, um, just as as we have. Um, and it's to that that he can come along and say uh, through the angel, "Do not be afraid." be at peace. And and why is it that we can be at peace? It's because uh, referencing back to the second Corinthians text that this is the God who raises the dead on him. We have placed our, our hope that he, he has delivered us and he will deliver us again. Um, the Lord has delivered us from all of our sin and from eternal death and from all the provocations of the devil. And he will deliver us in the last day when he returns, uh, whether that's, whether we're in a shipwreck or it's, something standing before Caesar or whatever it might be. The Lord is always there with us. Pastor Sean Kilgo serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas, helping us today with Acts 27 verses 21 to 44. Pastor Kilgo, thanks for being our guest today. It's great to be here. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Acts 27, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.